Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, episode number 18, Ivan Grozny Unleashed. Last episode, Ivan IV had finally conquered the fortified Tartar city of Kazan, freeing thousands of Russian slaves and ridding his country of a formidable threat. Another important event followed the victory, which was the birth of Ivan's son Dmitri, the heir to the throne of Russia. Ivan was now assured that the Rurikid line, almost 600 years old, was secure. But something had changed in Ivan with the conquest of Kazan. He believed that it was his prayers and his closeness to God that won the day. Not the German demolition experts who blew the holes in the 20-foot-thick walls of Kazan. Not the brilliant generals whose battle plans sealed the fate of the Tartar inhabitants and certainly not the brave soldiers who fought fiercely against the enemy. No, in his mind, Ivan was the reason Kazan had been vanquished. Sylvester, Ivan's religious mentor, had set the stage for this belief. In the early years, the connection to God helped to rein in the young Ivan. But now, in his twenties, it was not a blanket on his rage, but an opening to the unleashing of a personality built in the furnace of his tortured childhood. But there was still a trusted group of advisors that contained the raging beast within. Prince Kerbsky, Alexei Adeshev, and Sylvester had the ear of the Tsar, and he still trusted them implicitly. Prince Kerbsky advised Ivan to stay in Kazan, as he knew that while the Tartars had been seriously injured, they were still out there and remained dangerous. The Khanates of Astrahan and Crimea were still a threat as well. But Ivan took no heed to Kerbsky's pleadings. He wanted to see his newly born child, as Anastasia had finally delivered a son after two daughters. As Ivan traveled by boat from Kazan to Moscow, the first signs of paranoia began to show. He felt isolated from his friends, which sparked a fear that the same thing that happened to him as a child was occurring. His staff was just trying to protect him from possible attack, but he did not see it that way. A window into his feelings comes from a letter he wrote to Prince Kerbsky twelve years after the event. He writes, After God in his unfathomable mercy gave us victory over the Muslims, and we were returning safe and sound with all the Orthodox Christian army, what shall I say about those well-wishers whom thou callest martyrs? Let me say this, they placed me like a prisoner on the ship, and conveyed me with a very small escort through a godless and almost unbelieving land. Had not the all-powerful hand of the Almighty protected my humility, then I would certainly have lost my life. Such are the well-wishers who thou defendest, and thus do they lay down their lives for us by striving to deliver our soul into the hands of our enemies. As Payne and Romanov write in the book, Ivan the Terrible. If Ivan in his hour of triumph could give way to irrational fears, then it could be expected that he would be even more irrational and fearful when triumph eluded him. He entered Moscow to a huge triumph worthy of any Roman emperor. The crowds were large, singing Nyogayaleta, Long Live the Tsar. His star shone brighter than that of past Russian heroes like Alexander Nevsky or Dmitry Donskoy. But lest we forget 
he was still a very young man of only 22 years of age. As Michael Duncan mentioned in his episode 105 of his podcast, The History of Rome, being under 30 and ruling an empire does not presage success, as was seen with Caligula, Nero, Commodus, or Caracalla. The immaturity of youth breeds trouble. Just days after arriving in triumph in Moscow, Ivan made the following troubling comment to the boyars. God protected me from you. I could not torment you while Kazan stood on its own. I needed you for all manner of things. But now I am free to inflict upon you my torment and my wrath. Adeshev and Sylvester were very, very concerned, not just for their own safety, but everyone around them, as Ivan grew increasingly reserved and distant. As Payne and Romanov comment in their book, the poison of absolute power was working on him. At this point, Ivan commissioned two architects to build a cathedral to the Virgin Mary, who he believed interceded for him in the, in the Battle of Fort Kazan, and he owed her a debt. The Cathedral of the Intercession of the Virgin in the Red Square is one of the most enduring and striking buildings in all of Moscow. We now know it as the Cathedral of St. Basil. Originally built of wood, it was rebuilt in stone, taking many years to build. It was consecrated on October 1st, 1559, in the presence of both Ivan and Anastasia. You can see a picture of it either on our Facebook fan site, Russian Rulers History Podcast, or on my blog site, markshouse.com. Yedigir Makhmet, the Khan of Khazan, now living in Moscow with his family, asked to be baptized into the Christian Orthodox Church by Metropolitan Macarius. He took the name of Simeon and was to play a role in one of the most bizarre events of Ivan's life, but more on that in a future podcast. It is highly likely that his conversion from Islam was done prudently to protect himself and his family as he was <clears throat> a guest of the Tsar in Moscow. His baptism, attended by Ivan, was in March of 1553 in the Moskva River, which was frozen at the time. A hole was chopped into it for the baptism ceremony. A hardy folk they were, for sure. Ivan caught a cold that day, which turned into pneumonia, an illness that killed most that developed it. Ivan was sure that he was going to die, so he began to draw up his last will and testament to ensure that his son Dmitri would be named Tsar, and his wife Anastasia made regent. Being only months old, with a mother and her family being of lesser nobility, many quietly objected. Tsar Ivan asked the boyars and nobility to sign an agreement that they would pledge an oath to having Dmitri become Tsar if Ivan should die. Some gladly agreed. Some, like Adeshev and Sylvester, wanted Ivan's cousin, Vladimir of Staritsa, instead. The big beef was not with Dmitri, but with Anastasia's family, the Sakarans, also known as the Romanovs. None of the boyars wanted a return to the day when Ivan was a boy, especially if the Zakarans were in charge. Ivan was duly concerned about his son's inheritance and thought the hesitancy shown by a number of boyars to be treachery and treason, which was really not very good for the nobility as Ivan did not die. He recovered. 
Ivan once again believed that God had saved him from death, and now he had to deal with his less-than-loyal subjects. In a letter to Prince Kerbsky, 25 years after the illness, he writes about this time in his life. At the time of the event, Kerbsky was a loyal friend who had pledged loyalty to Dmitri, but when the letter was written, the two men were mortal enemies. Ivan writes, Tell me, why did you want to place Prince Vladimir on the throne and remove me and my children? Did I ascend the throne by robbery or by bloody feats of arms? I was born to rule by the grace of God, and I do not even remember my father bequeathing the kingdom to me and blessing me. I grew up on the throne. Then why should Prince Vladimir be sovereign? He was born from the fourth appanage prince. What qualifications did he have for ruling? Where did he stand in the order of succession? His only claim was your treacherous support of him and his own stupidity. What was my guilt before him? Ivan was now angry, and he did what he always knew would give him solace and give him peace. Pray and head to the monastery that would provide him the peace he sought. He decided to go to Belozero, a far-off place which was where his mother went to pray for a son. But he was warned not to go on the trek, and his family decided to go anyway. His spiritual advisor said, Please stay away. Do not go. He first stopped by the nearby, nearby Troiska Monastery, where the old Greek monk Maxine lived. Maxine warned Ivan he should not take the trip, but to instead keep his promise to the wives and orphans of the soldiers who fought so bravely at Kazan. Maxim said, If you do not hearken to me when I advise you according to God, if you forget the blood of the martyrs slaughtered by the infidels while fighting on behalf of orthodoxy, if you overlook the tears of the widows and orphans, if you set forth stubbornly on your pilgrimage, then know that your son will die and will not return from thence alive. But if you hearken to me, then both you and your son will enjoy health. Ivan would have been wise to listen to the old monk, as when the Tsar was heading back to Moscow from Belozero, a nurse who was carrying baby Dmitri dropped the young boy into the Shenska River while boarding the boat home. Dmitri drowned. Maxim's prophecy was correct, to the moment. Ivan was shattered. He felt that somehow he had offended God to have brought this tragedy upon him. He was filled with remorse and went about taking care of the state of affairs of Russia. He forgave all the boyars and princes who wouldn't sign the oath to his now dead son. He reconciled with his cousin Prince Vladimir of Staritsa. Then news came that Anastasia was pregnant again lifting his spirits. March 28, 1554, brought the news to be celebrated throughout the land. A son was born to the Tsar, a boy named Ivan. While out celebrating by visiting a number of monasteries, Ivan received news that a second Tartar stronghold had been overrun by Russian troops, the key city of Astrakhan. It is at this time that the English first, through Queen Mary, then Elizabeth I sent envoys to the court of Ivan to initiate trade through the northern route, 
which unfortunately proves unsuccessful. There were to be more tries of trade between the two nations, with Ivan even trying to woo Elizabeth many years later. In 1560, Ivan had his world shattered when the love of his life, his anchor, Anastasia, fell ill, likely from cancer. She died on August 7, 1560, a mere 30 years of age. Ivan would never recover from her death. He was sure that she had been poisoned by the boyars. This feeling was to unleash the beast within. The grief Ivan showed was intense at her funeral. He wailed loudly and had to be held up to avoid collapsing. Thousands of mourners followed the procession to her burial spot at the Vojnesensky Monastery, near the main gate to the Kremlin. Jerome Horsey, an Englishman who was to know Ivan many years later, said this about Anastasia. This empress became wise and of such holiness, virtue, and government, as she was honored, beloved, and feared by all her subjects. He, being young and riotous, she ruled him with admirable affability and wisdom. Next week, we begin to see the transformation of the Tsar from Ivan Grozny, or the Awesome, to the person we are most familiar with, Ivan the Terrible. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of August 29th through September 4th. In 1651, Natalia Kirovna Narishknia, Tsarista of Russia, second wife of Tsar Alexei I, is born. In 1763, Catherine II of Russia endorses Ivan Betskoy's plans for a foundling home in Moscow, helping orphans. In 1813, we have the Battle of Kulm. French forces led by Napoleon are defeated by an Austrian, Prussian, and Russian alliance. In 1883, famous Russian author Ivan Turgenev passes away. In 1914, St. Petersburg, Russia, changes its name to Petrograd. In 1949, in the Soviet atomic bomb project, the Soviet Union tests its first atomic bomb, known as First Lightning, or Joe First, in Kazakhstan. In 1983, as part of the Cold War, Korean Air Flight 007 is shot down by a Soviet Union jet fighter when the commercial aircraft enters Soviet airspace. All 269 on board died including U.S. Congressman Lawrence MacDonald. In 1991, the Supreme Soviet of the Soviet Union suspended all activities of the Soviet Communist Party. Also in 1991, Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan both declared their independence from the Soviet Union. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit the iTunes App Store and download the Russian Rulers app. And please visit the websites at russianrulers.podhoster.com, markshouse.com. Become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Ask a question, make a suggestion, leave a comment. And as always, das vidanya is spasiba bolshoya.